a lot of the stunt community is word of mouth. You are auditioning for this stunt coordinator to say good things about you later. Were you cool on set? Did you do your job? Were you on time? Did you say you could do a backflip and then you got on set? Were you could he do the backflip? Did you accidentally hit the actor? Did you go too far? Did you land where you're supposed to? Like all this stuff. You get your one opportunity to go in there and they're going to like blow up the whole room and then you're going to have a squib on your chest. And when that thing goes off, you need to fall down. Don't mess it up because they're blowing up the entire room. This is The New School with your host, Christine Hong. Welcome to a new kind of school, where we talk about career paths you don't normally get to hear about in the classroom. Every episode, I talk to someone with an interesting life path and learn about how they got to where they are today. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The New School Podcast with your host, Christine Hong. If you're from a small town like me, it can kind of seem like the careers open to you are pretty limited. No one from my hometown of Greenville, North Carolina ever became a big movie star. Our guest today had the same thoughts growing up, but he didn't let this stop him. Eric Linden grew up in a small town and didn't know anyone who worked in Hollywood, but he decided he needed to quit his day job and go for the thing that really made him happy. So he moved to Los Angeles and became a stuntman. He's been able to work his way up from grueling early jobs as an extra to a brief stint in the circus to these days working on movies like Suicide Squad and Avengers Endgame. In this episode, Eric shares how he first supported himself in Hollywood, how he gets his roles, and what life on a movie set is really like. Eric, I'm actually really curious. What was your childhood life? What did you think you are going to be when you grew up? You know, I grew up in Ohio, so like I didn't exactly grow up on a farm, but, you know, a farm was right behind my house. We were kind of out in the middle of nowhere, and I went to a pretty small school. There wasn't, like, sidewalks like you would ride your bike everywhere. So kind of with some of these small town mentalities, you aren't expecting to like shoot for the stars type of stuff. And I didn't really know what it was that I wanted to do. You know, the first thing, the earliest memory of like trying to think of something that I wanted to do once I started to be aware that that was something I needed to figure out. You know, I wanted to do like computer graphics, which back then was like 3D animation that would have been like Toy Story type of stuff because the animation back then and computer graphics was a little bit more of that type of stuff. You know, like Jurassic Park had come out, but like it wasn't really easy to to do computer graphics. Nobody was like doing it for YouTube videos or anything like that. So 3D animation was my first interest. But once I started to get towards junior, senior year of high school, kind of came to find out that it was very difficult to get into those type of programs. You had to have really good grades. And back then, you had to be very good at math. Like you needed to know geometry and physics very well because you had to be able to put that stuff into the computer manually. Nowadays, I mean, it's not like any idiot can do it, but the computer does all the thinking for you when it comes to like how far a ball should bounce or a rock should tumble. When back then you would have to like program it in, wait for it to render, look at it and be like, hmm, it doesn't feel right. And then you would change a couple of numbers. So I was doing some of that, but the more advanced stuff was just way over my head. So that kind of crushed my hopes and dreams for doing that. I honestly didn't know. I graduated high school and decided to take a year off and just kind of started working and delivering pizzas. I worked as a stagehand, building play like Annie, Wizard of Oz, those type of plays like downtown. I was kind of just being a bum. It wasn't like a really great direction. And then after that, I finally kind of got a kick in the pants from my girlfriend at the time. And she told me to go to college. So I was kind of forced into picking something and wanted to do something with computers. So I started doing graphic design. And from there, I graduated and started working in a design studio. (laughs) Okay, wow. So, but then design studio to, to set? I guess the point of saying I was from Ohio and a small town and all that stuff was nothing like doing stunts or acting or being an astronaut or an archaeologist or anything like that didn't seem attainable. It didn't seem like people from where I was from did that stuff. Oh, yeah, I totally get that. I grew up in like Greenville, North Carolina. It's like, cool, you're going to 
may become a doctor, lawyer, best case, or work in a local shop, basically. Yeah, and even if you're like, that's a very respectable thing, weren't you kind of like, oh, if you become a doctor, you'll go to college, become a doctor, and then come back to town and become a doctor in your hometown? Yeah, everyone came back to the same hospital, yeah. Yeah, even if they were like adventurous and went to, you know, Georgia or something like that for college, you'd end up back at the same place. Yeah, and it's like you have no idea how to even break into the movie industry, to be honest. That's kind of where that came from. But the stunt thing just kind of popped into my head a little bit later in life. Cool. Wait, can you describe that? So you went to school for graphic design and you became a graphic designer. And how did the stunt thing like pop back into your interests? It was one of those things where, and it seems so silly to say now, but the way it felt then was I was like 24, right? I was going to be turning 25 that year. And I had what I like to call like a quarter life crisis, which you're so young. You're like, that's absurd now. But that's kind of what it was is I started to panic and realize I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. The job I was doing was very monotonous and it kind of felt like some sort of like infinite groundhog loop type of thing. And I just felt like I was going to wake up one day and be 65 years old and realize I was just doing the same thing every day and not happy with it. I would have been successful and that would have been fine, but I wouldn't have been happy with it. So I started kind of like using a buddy as a sounding board And we were both kind of like, you know, complaining about our jobs. And he asked, well, you know, hey, man, like if you could do anything in the world, like don't even worry about like how you would get there, what you would do, like what would you want to do? What would make you happy? And, you know, I really had to sit there and think about that question. I remember I just paused at my desk and was like, my goodness, like, good question. Like, I don't know. And I sat there and thought about it. And, uh, you know, this was when you would just like email each other back and forth. Like we weren't even texting. It wasn't a thing. And I was like, you know what? I want to be a stuntman. I literally just kind of like pulled that out of thin air. Although it had kind of been building over the course of like my whole life because I'd always been interested in action movies. And I was super interested in like how movies were made. I remember the earliest thing I really like got into or interested in was Michael Jackson's Thriller came out and like Thriller premiered on like ABC or NBC or something like that in the middle of like prime time. I think it was like Entertainment Tonight. And then at the end of the show, they were like the world premiere of Thriller. And like you have like a hundred million people watching TV to watch this music video. They also then went into how Thriller was made. So they were showing like the special effects makeup and, you know, like the choreography of the dancing and all this stuff. And I was like, man, this is super interesting to me. So then from then on, I would always watch like the DVD behind the scenes of like how Star Wars was made. And it just was always capturing my like fantasy and my interest. But I never really had it in my head like I could do this. I was just studying it just because I was interested. And then as time went on, I mean, I just kind of always been analyzing film just anyway. I don't know. It was just something I just did, not because I thought there was any monetary gain from it. And obviously had a huge interest in the action aspect of it. And there was a show way back when I was young, it was called Fall Guy. So it was about a stuntman who also like moonlighted as like a mercenary or something like that. It was an 80s action show. So I knew what a stuntman was back when I was like seven years old, which I don't think is the norm. And I was aware that movies were fake. Oh, that took me so long to realize. I was like, how can magic happen a movie, but not in real life? I was so curious. And then once I started to kind of like get a peek behind the veil, I think probably when I was really early on, I was like, I want to do special effects makeup, you know, but that never really... Like I said, you just kind of forget these things. You forget your dreams. Yeah. yeah like if you'd have asked me at one point, I would have been like, I want to be a scuba diver when I get older. <laughs> what I saw and thought was cool. And they're like, well, you can't be a scuba diver, but you can be an oceanographer. And I was like, I want to be an oceanographer. But you don't really know what that stuff means. So anyway, that all kind of was building up to do stunts. And so I was like, yeah, I, you know, I want to be a stunt man. And I remember the guy was like, hey, you can do it. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like typed back to him, like, yeah, hilarious, dude. Like, I remember I wrote back, I'd want to be a stuntman. And then he's like, you can do it. And I was like, yeah, okay, dude, good one. But then he proceeded to fire off like email after email with links and information. And this stuff was like not easy to find. Like Google didn't exist when we were having this conversation. 
Like it was like random searching through like Ask Jeeves and stuff like that, like Yahoo. So it was very difficult. You had to be pretty internet savvy and be able to dig to find this type of information through forums and different stuff like that. So he started sending me info. I remember just like there's this like little crack of like, my goodness, like there is actually a path to like get to this. Like that's insane. Like I didn't think there was one and there is. Yeah, it's like seeing the moon and then someone's like, there is the spaceship, but you need to walk a thousand miles. Yeah, you got to go through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You have to do all this crazy stuff to get to it. But it was like there is a way. What a great friend to put in that effort to find that research for you too. I mean, this took, I mean, months of like, hey, let's talk about it sometime. So, you know, we had dinner and he was like, I did more research. Like I found this out. And he always wanted to like go be an agent in Hollywood. Right. And so he was kind of looking for a sidekick, I think. So like, oh, if this guy wants to jump off the cliff, like I'll do it too to like, you know, he's too scared to go do it on his own. So he's almost like trying to groom somebody that would like take that leap with him. So it wasn't so scary to like move to LA and follow your dreams and stuff like that. But there were just like a lot of different steps along the way that eventually built up to like moving to LA. Like, I mean, it's like a whole story just about all the stuff that I had to do and how long it took and like the patience I had to have to build up these little milestones that then allowed me to say, I'm going to move to LA and try to do this. And then when you step foot into LA, you are now at square one. I mean, it's almost like going through all of elementary, middle school and high school sports just to be able to like try out for a college team. And then you're still not even like ready to go to the pros yet, right? You're ready just to begin. Did you just pack up your bags and move to LA? Did you have a day job set up or anything? No, I didn't. You know, like I actually had to quit my job in Ohio because I wanted to go to Philadelphia to be an extra. That was like my first real opportunity. You know, I'd went and gotten like headshots and I like kind of like gotten an agent in Ohio, which means absolutely nothing. It's just for like local commercials. But I thought it was a big deal. I was like, oh my God, I got an agent. I never booked a single thing. I'd done like two student films. And like a film festival, I submitted to this movie that had James Franco in it and nobody ever ever saw it. How did you submit for those initial movies or even student films? Yeah, it was email. It was like you would send an email to something super random because you'd look at the stuff. It doesn't even look official like because you'd be getting it through a forum or, or something random like that. You didn't know if it was real or if it wasn't. That was the hardest thing I've noticed about the entertainment industry. Like the most legit sites, like Actors Access, they look very, they almost look like a scam, (laughs) to be honest. Yeah, they do. They look like a scam. It's crazy. And so this person emailed me back, like some sort of casting agent or something like that, that was trying to find extras to play like young military graduates for the Navy. And the prerequisite was like, if you're chosen, you need to be willing to shave your head. They were like, yeah, we'd love to have you. And I was like, oh my God, they picked me. Little did I know they needed 200 extras. So like, you know, it wasn't like I was the best looking or like had the right look. Like I was just a dude and I was down to do it. So I literally packed up my bags. I quit my job and drove all the way to Philadelphia and rented a little room from some old lady and would go, you know, once or twice a week to work on this movie as an extra. And only thing I did was stand like at attention and it would be 12 hours a day. Like, and you just have to stand there or you would like march away because it was like a graduation scene. Got to see James Franco in real life. But besides that, it was absolutely nothing. So it was a joke, but the real key to the story was I took that leap. But what the way I was rewarded is I got my SAG eligibility because I was able to get SAG voucher from that job. What's SAG again for others who don't know? Yeah, it's the Screen Actors Guild. It's the union that all stunt performers and actors enter, at least in the United States. Like you can't just walk up to the Screen Actors Guild and sign up and then you're in the union. Like you have to qualify. And the way you qualify is you could book like a national commercial, for example, where like you're the only one that can like 
balanced pencils on their nose. Well, you get this job, right? Like you're amazing. And they put you in a commercial. Well, if it's a union commercial, they have to make you SAG. So that you become automatically eligible. But if something like miracle like that doesn't happen to you, you have to grind away and get vouchers. And the way you get vouchers is you usually are an extra and like a background actor, which means like you're a, like a fuzzy dot in the background of like actual actors. But every union film or commercial, you need to have up to 40 union background actors. So if you have 20, that's fine. Like you need 20 people, you're good to go. They're all union. But say you need 50. Well, you need 50 background actors. Well, 40 of them have to be SAG, and then you've met the quota, and then the other 10 can be non-union, which means that you can pay them less and treat them worse. So if you have those 50 people right but in a random town like philadelphia you can only find 20 background actors that are already union and nobody else will show up for that day well then you have to taft hartley the additional 20 to get to the 40 quota and the way you do that is you make them sag for that one day and you give them a voucher so basically that's like almost like a proof of work that somebody said that you were like, okay, to be in the union for that one period of time. And now you can audition for union roles once you get it, basically? Well, you need to get three of them. Once you get three of them, you are now eligible to join the union. But when you join the union, you know, you have to pay like, it's like $3,000 or something like that. And then you become SAG. Because before you couldn't even audition for like the major TVs and movies, basically. Correct. You know, if you go to L.A., there's so many people that are in the union that they almost never hand out vouchers. It's like virtually impossible to get them. So it's a real catch 22 of like, how do I become sad? Well, you do this, but nobody ever hands them out. So there's people that will be in L.A. just grinding away for literally years trying to get these vouchers. It's pretty crazy. So I think it's easier to get it outside of L.A. actually. Definitely is. But how did you learn to do your first stunt? I was wondering. I mean, that's the funny thing about it is that you don't really necessarily learn to do a stunt. The first real stunt I did, I was getting clotheslined and somebody kind of just gave me a chance. I was SAG and it was one of the first jobs that I went and met somebody and they were like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll give him a chance. Like uh, he matches up with this actor pretty good. So I... Uh, I went and met the guy on set and handed him my headshot and just shook his hand. He was the stunt coordinator and, you know, walked away. And a couple, couple of weeks later, he called me and was like, hey, I think you'd make a good double for this guy. I need you to get clotheslined. So I show up for the day and I mean, like, there's no practicing. I was pretty athletic and I'd practice falls to like mats and stuff like that. You know, I was learning to box and learning to do swords, but, you know, I didn't know how to get clotheslined necessarily but literally you just like run and try to time it up and this guy steps around the corner and puts his arm out which is an actor and i throw myself to the ground like just as i touch his arm and you know i just go flying through the air and land on my back and that was the first time i mean literally it's like you need to be tough enough and athletic enough to like kind of like go for it but like it hurt like hell like, it sucked. I didn't know that, like, it was that bad. And, you know, you do it and you're like, oh, my God, like, that really hurt, right? Like, crack your head on the ground a little bit. And they're like, okay, yeah, that was good. We'll move cameras and let's do it again. And I ended up doing it, like, eight, nine times. I got done and I walked to my car and just thought, like, oh, my God, like, what have I done? Like, is this actually what I want to do? Like, that really sucked. Is there no way to prep for it to be safer, how to do stunt the right way? Yeah, I mean, there's a little more information out there now. And, you know, I knew how to kind of like fall safely to my back. To some extent, you're still like landing on concrete, but I wasn't in danger of like landing on my head, right? Like I knew I could land on my back. 
And I would attribute that to doing stuff on the trampoline where you would like jump up in the air and you land on your back and then bounce back up to your feet. It's that type of like finding your back. So that's a form of training for stunts, I guess. But it was just a skill I picked up by jumping on the trampoline. Then I also had wrestled all through high school. So I was used to kind of like falling down and getting tackled and, you know, flipping around and stuff like that. I had a minimal amount of gymnastics in my background, mostly from backyard, like kind of screwing off and like diving boards into pools and stuff like that. So I had like a good air awareness. But nowadays they have these gyms that you can train parkour, gymnastic gyms that are around that sometimes have open gym. So you can go and train those type of things where you would like spin and fall to your back or, you know, practice certain types of falls. And, you know, there's a lot of videos out there that would kind of show you what to do. But back then I learned all the falling and stuff from different martial arts. It wasn't like a stunt training. I was learning it from Aikido and jujitsu and stuff like that. Do you recommend like parkour gyms for aspiring stunt people or do you think there's another better place to train? No, you know, I think that they're really good. I think they're great for learning like air awareness and, uh, you know, picking up a handful of skills. I do think that parkour was a fad that, you know, now if you see some parkour in, in a movie, you're just like, yeah, whatever. Where when it was in James Bond or something, you were like, oh my God, this is amazing. Now it's just like, oh great, some other dude doing parkour. So I don't really think it's like essential. I think you should have some basic parkour skills. But, you know, back when I was growing up, we used to call that running around the playground, you know, like we were already doing that type of movement. It just wasn't as slick. It was just like getting through obstacles quickly. What did you mean by air awareness, by the way? The air awareness type of thing is just, for example, if you were going to, you know, jump off of a diving board and you wanted to do a front flip, you know, it's kind of knowing where you're at in the air and landing on your feet or being able to keep tucked and land and do like a one and a half and do a dive. It's just kind of knowing where you're at in the air so that you can like maneuver your body into a position that you want to land. Cool. So you learned how to do stunts, you got your style eligibility, and you made it to LA. What did you do next? I got an apartment with a buddy of mine and then went and started interviewing for good old regular jobs. <laughs> graphic designer or what? Yeah, I started doing graphic design for internet ads. So I was working for a place called LowerMyBills.com and I was designing those annoying ads that would pop up and say, hey, you should refinance your home. I was responsible for some of that. I'm sorry. Oh, well, I mean, it makes sense. Like everyone moves to LA with a day job and that honestly sounds like it pays a lot better than being a waiter. You know, it was just, I'd already had a pretty vast portfolio. And, you know, when you get to LA, even really a new city, on your own for anybody bills are real like they add up fast like gas is expensive out west rent is very expensive even if you move in with somebody and kind of split it up you're still paying you know as much as you would for your own place in the midwest so you have to get a job very very quickly or your ship is gonna sink i mean i went around and looked for bartender jobs for like two weeks and you can't buy yourself a bartending job oh yeah it's so competitive in LA yeah because everyone yeah. wants one every actor out there wants to bartend and you're like well why that's ridiculous is the money that good like no they'll just be a server and the reason is because you work at night and you can audition and go to class during the day it's a very difficult thing to deal with but yeah I got a day job being a graphic designer and I was back sitting at a desk and this was all just to make money so that I could stay afloat and go to like acting class at night and train on the weekends. And I was waking up at, you know, five o'clock in the morning, go to the gym to go, you know, work out and then go sit at a desk for another eight hours. It was tough, you know, like it was super hard. And you also are walking this path with like kind of no end in sight. How did you navigate that? Like, how did you even get your first... LA movie gigs and what were they? The first, it was all networking. And that's how you get ahead for a lot of different things in life, a lot of different jobs. 
but I'd make the effort to go and try to meet people, figure out where events were happening and just literally walk up there and be like, Hey, you know, I'm Eric and I'm new. I want to be a stuntman. I'm in training. You know, I'm just trying to meet people. And some people were cool. Some people would blow you off. And sometimes it was really disheartening. But also there would be some people that would give me some encouragement or were like understood where I was coming from. So I met a handful of people and kept following up with those people. I offered like the skills that I had, which was internet and graphic design based. And some of these guys back then, and it was like 2005, 2006, they needed websites or they thought they did. And they wanted to make a website, but they fall down for a living. They didn't have a clue how to make a website. And so I'd be like, hey, if you would train me to fight with a sword, I can build you a website. And they would be like, really? Like, what? Awesome. So like, that's what we did. Like, I would trade. I would do stuff for them for free and design their websites and put their pictures up and stuff like that. And they would teach me how to swing swords. So that was how I started getting like the initial skills of like doing some fight stuff, sword stuff, high falls, air rams, being lit on fire. It was all for trade and it was all me showing up when they wanted me to for free and being the test dummy. Wow. Any major injuries during this time period? Mm -mm. Nope. Nope. Just a lot of effort and sometimes like calling off work, you know, like saying I was sick. But I was just going to like go train and oh, yeah, I mean, you know, like I was just like, I cannot wait to not have this stupid job that I have. And oddly enough, I eventually <laughs> eventually got fired because I basically just didn't produce enough. Right. Like and it was mostly because I hated it and I could just sit there and like kind of screw off all day and then do all my work in the last two hours. And I was just like, do just enough. Like I was like, I did what you told me, but I was never like an overachiever. I was just like, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Because your day job. Yeah. Well, I was really talented on the computer and I was super fast. So I could just do it all in the last two hours. And the rest of the time, I just like surf the internet or like whatever. So they eventually fired me, but they like offered me like, hey, if you sign this thing that says that like we didn't do anything wrong, right? You can collect unemployment. We'll just basically say that you've been laid off. So I was like, let me think about it. And I like, I talked to a couple of people and they're like, yeah, I mean, if you can collect unemployment, that's great. So I was like, okay, sign the deal. And they paid me like two weeks. And then I got to sit on unemployment benefits in California for six months. So I just was like, now I don't have a job. Like, this is awesome. And instead of just doing nothing, all I did was like, anytime somebody called, I'd show up. Like I would go and train. I went to gymnastics gyms. I'd go to auditions. I'd take acting class and my bills were being paid. Like I was scraping by. I mean, it's not a lot of money. I was barely cruising by, but I put, put all my effort into these different types of training classes and showing up. Like sometimes somebody would be like, Hey, I need help moving the couch. And if they were a stuntman, I'm like, great win. Like, you need me to mow your lawn? I'm like, okay, cool. Just so I thought that they'd be like, oh man, maybe that kid's cool. Like, maybe we'll bring him around sometime. And you know what? They eventually That's did. That's awesome. You just kept persisting and just saying yes to everything. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I kept getting better at what I was trying to do. I spent a lot of time learning to fight and a lot of time, like, learning to sword fight, stuff like that. Like, a lot of my own time went into that type of stuff, mostly because I liked it, mostly because I enjoyed it. But, but there was a lot of training that happened. And, you know, at some point, you get to know some of these guys. And then when they're looking for a younger stunt guy, you know, they're like, hey, this one guy, he He's really good. But when you do get to that job, first couple of jobs, if you mess up, you're toast. It's almost like even though you got the job and you're going to be on TV, you are auditioning for this stunt coordinator to say good things about you later. Because a lot of the stunt community is word of mouth. Were you cool on set? Did you do your job? Were you on time? Were you good at what you needed to do? Did you accidentally hit the actor? Did you go too far? Did you land where you're supposed to? Like all this stuff. Like, did you say you could do a backflip and then you got on set where you could he do the backflip? If you get that opportunity and say like, hey, I can swim. I'm awesome at swimming. And you get there and you suck at swimming and you almost drown. Everybody in the community will hear about it. 
But if you do awesome, people hear about that. What skills did you find were the most helpful for you on set? And which that you learned were maybe least helpful? Well, I mean, just on set, patience. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's so freaking boring. Everybody thinks that it's like lights, camera, action, and, you know, there's glitz and glam and everybody's taking care of you. Probably 10 hours out of the day, you are like sitting over in the corner if you're lucky enough to get a chair. And it's not a cool director's chair, it's some, you know, metal chair over in the corner. And you're just waiting for something to happen. It's like mind numbingly boring. But then you get your one opportunity to go in there and they're going to like blow up the whole room. And then you're going to have a squib on your chest. And when that thing goes off, you need to fall down and don't mess it up because they're blowing up the entire room. So that's like the type of pressure that's on you, but also the type of patience that you have to have to just be able to sit around and wait and have a good attitude and then be able to perform at the drop of a dime. Yeah. Wait, so after those six months were up, how were you able to transition to living off stunt making? I'd gotten enough jobs by that six months time period and made enough of a name for myself. I wasn't making enough of a living to be able to like work is just call myself a stunt man. And I didn't even call myself a stunt man. I was just like, yeah, you know, like I'm kind of doing stunts. Like they're like, you're a stunt man. I'm like, well, not yeah, yet. When do you feel like you can call yourself a stunt man? I'm so curious. I didn't feel like I could actually say I was a stunt man until that was my income. Like that's how I made my money and how I paid rent. It took me many years. It took me four or five years before that's all I was doing. But like I said, once I got to know enough people, I was actually invited to work at Universal Studios in the back lot, like where the tourists do the tours, right? And so I was doing some little like stunt show where it wasn't Waterworld, but it was something else where you would come through and we do like a little gunfight and like somebody do a high fall and then everybody claps and you bow. And then you like walk back behind the facade and wait for the next little tram to come around and then you would do it again. Like, I mean, I remember one time, I mean, we did, was it? I think I did 90 rotations where I had gone through this thing. You know, there were like four different parts. You play the hero and then when the next tram would come through, you would rotate and then you would be the villain. I went through it 90 times. Sometimes they were backed up, like there'd be four of them in a row and you would just go, 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 go. I mean, it's middle of the summer and you're just like dying and just sunburned. So, but you know, I was getting, I think I was getting $200 a day or $300 a day. You work two, three times a week. You're crushing, you know? So that's how I was making money and paying rent until I was able to just do stunts. And although I was doing stunts for that show, you know, it's not like you were on camera. I'm just doing it for tourists. But the great thing about that job and some of these jobs that are like that, where you're doing like a live show type of thing, is you can tell them like, hey, I got a SAG job. And they totally understand and they will replace you. Like for that one day and you don't lose your job, you just have somebody cover you and it's all good. Oh, that's so nice. They're supporting you. Yeah, it's great. During that time period where I was doing that, I was in the freaking circus. Wait, really? Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so there's Cirque du Soleil, right? But then there is another, like, it's actually a different, not part of that company. It's also called Cirque, but it's just called, I think it's Neil Goldberg Cirque or Cirque of Dreams or something like that. And they do corporate shows. So I would get flown to Arizona or like New Orleans or like New Mexico, like not too far, but like just around the United States. And we would go and I'd dress up in some silly leotard and had a silly hat on and all this stuff. And I was essentially a clown. And we would just like do silly little clown things for the audience of like these corporate people that like paid to have this like little event they would do networking and then they get to see some show right so i was one of the clowns that would jump around in between the acts and then like a contortionist would come out 
when she would take her bow, we'd like lift up her thing and carry it off wearing like silly leotard. That would pay like $300 a show. And I was like stoked. I was like, you know, I'm making such good money and they're flying me around the United States. I mean, it's absurd, but it was also like I was learning to perform. I was learning to get over my fear of being in front of crowds or being in front of people. Some people have more or less of that type of stuff, but I think everybody needs to get practice at it because when something goes wrong or whatever, you need to like just kind of like learn to roll with the punches. And that all translated to great things on film because of like being on stage, acting like somebody I wasn't. Like I'm not, you know, like I didn't want to do this clown thing. And but you know, the money was good. My buddy was like, hey, you should go do this. I was like, okay. So I'm kind of curious. You say you just slowly get more and more jobs. And you just meet more and more people. Was it kind of just a transition to suddenly be like, oh, I make enough money that I live off this now. And I guess I can call myself a stuntman. Or was there a sudden jump to get there? So that was a lot of like, like I said, I was doing the circus thing. But like if I was booked or whatever, and I got called to do a stunt or work on it, like one day on the TV show is usually how it happens. They're like, hey, we want you to come in and double an actor or, you know, come in and just like get shot, for example. I would take off of those jobs, those live show type of jobs and do that and then come right back to the live show job. So, you know, I had enough days off where I was still able to do training and stuff like that because a lot of people tend to get lost in these live show things where they work too much because maybe they have a wife or maybe they have a child and they have to make a certain amount of money a week. Well, I just need to make enough to pay rent. So it was like a little bit of drinking money and paying my rent. I was good to go. But really my big break, which all kind of happened from all of these type of things, you know, I started to do stunts and get some jobs and stuff like that, but I always would show up and I always was trying to network with people, that type of stuff. What ended up leading me to meeting a guy, it's called hustling. Basically, you show up to a set completely randomly, like hopefully you're invited, but you go to meet the stunt coordinator and you walk up and they kind of know why you're there right away. They're like some, you know, silly looking guys just like standing there with a headshot in his hand. They know what the deal is. But you go up, you shake your hand, you induce yourself, hand them your headshot, your resume and say, sure, would love to work on your show. Like that would be great sometimes. And they go, okay, great kid. Good to see you in person. Like, bye. So that's what happened. And I did that to a guy who was running NCIS, like super big network TV show. Well, a week later, maybe two weeks later, he had to double Chris O'Donnell. And Chris O'Donnell is on NCIS Los Angeles. Well, he was Robin in Batman and Robin, like back in the 90s, right? So super famous at one point in time, and then like kind of like took a break from acting and then came back and he decided to do NCIS Los Angeles, which is in its like 14th season now, something insane. He needed to double this guy. And I look like Chris O'Donnell in a rough sense of the word, right? My headshot was sitting on top of the pile. And Chris, he looks at Chris O'Donnell's headshot. Like I literally saw the two. And Chris O'Donnell's headshot had to been from 15, 20 years before that. And we look like exactly alike. It's like ridiculous from his old headshot. And he was like, man, I should call this kid in. So he calls me in along with probably five other guys that look just like me. And uh, basically he's like, yeah, you know, want you double this guy. And once again, he was like, hey, are you good to shave your head? And I was like, there's a saying in, in stunts where it's uh, hair grows, money doesn't. So when somebody wants you to shave your head, you always take Do you get asked to shave your head that often that there's a saying for it? I mean, no, you know, like it's just uh, NCIS is it's like a naval police, right? You know, he had a short haircut. There's this friend, like the first time was a military thing as well. I had really long hair at the time too, like kind of like a hippie. And I was like, yeah, I'm definitely down. So I went and this is how it goes, right? Like he wasn't basing it off skill or anything. He's just like, he looks like athletic and he looks like the guy. I go in there with all these other guys and I go to wardrobe literally just for them to take a peek at us they put me in the clothes and take my sizes down take a picture of me and that's it and the wardrobe person did say like wow like you fit his clothes exactly right 
like exact same sizes, exact same shoe size, like everything. They're like, wow, really good fit. Okay. See you later, pal. And there's four other guys that showed up that were my same size, but I got a thumbs up from wardrobe. So you know what? He picked me. He was like, all right, this kid's good. Fine. Looks close and he fits close. Great. So my job was to show up and Chris gets shot a bunch of times in the pilot episode kind of like build his lore for the character but you know there's like a drive-by shooting and he gets shot up so i had like a bunch of squibs on me and i just stood there and the squibs blow up and i like fall against a fruit stand and fall down so that was my job for the day it was just a pilot and high fives and i walk away right didn't know if the show was actually going to happen because a pilot is a concept episode and sometimes they buy the show based off the pilot or sometimes not and i can tell you that i had worked on i think five pilot where i was doubling the lead and every time you work on a pilot you think man this is gonna this is a big break like this pilot's going to go and I'm going to double the lead and I'm going to be on a full season run, right? That didn't happen five times. So I went and did this pilot and I was like, ah, Chris, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, like I was like, I didn't care. I didn't even care. I met him. It was like, yeah, cool. Like whatever, dude. And so like it took like six months and then all of a sudden they picked the show up. So they picked the show up and I got in touch with the next stunt coordinator and it kind of changed hands. And so then I became Chris O'Donnell's stunt double for seven years. Yeah, I guess you just kept going. And one day it, it just worked out. The fifth pilot was the term. Yeah, crazy. Do you feel like most people have a similar story to you? No, I don't think anybody does. No, it's really like, I don't know. My crew's been so hodgepodge together from like a lot of effort and a little luck. Chris O'Donnell didn't always have a stunt or something written into the script. So there'd be weeks I would have off. And if I would know that, sometimes I would get a call for a different show. So I'd be able to jump over to something else. And then my name was like getting out there. So that's when I started working enough that I didn't have to have another job. And I still was only working like maybe one day a week. Like it's crazy because it's pretty lucrative. So I was able to like train and keep networking throughout that process. Well, I guess what's your day day like before quarantine? I was pretty busy. I was working on, see last year, I was working on the new Suicide Squad with James Gunn is directing. So we were working nights. There was a lot of nights on that shoot. So staying up all night and then sleeping most of the day. A lot of days on like MacGyver, Black Lightning. I flew to LA to do Lucifer. I was just kind of like bouncing around, working on different shows. I was coordinating at the time, like because quite a bit before that, I stunt coordinated Punisher season two. And yeah, so, you know, if I'm not working, I'm spending time with the family and I'm training. I mean, I still train, mostly just lifting weights because I like, I don't practice a whole lot of stunt things anymore because... I feel like, I mean, I've done it enough and like I was working on Avengers Endgame. So I just got done stunt coordinating Punisher season two. I was just the boss and I was telling people what to do and I was designing the action and doing the meetings and making sure stuff was safe. And so I was the boss. I was the figurehead on that show. And when I got done, I hadn't done a single stunt in, you know, six months. And then they asked me to come do Avengers Endgame. So I had to show up there and be ready to fight for eight hours a day, every single day during rehearsals, because we're concepting fights, we're doing wire work, we're testing things. And I'm telling you, you are fighting like virtually full out, like fake film fighting for eight hours straight. Like it is like to say, I mean, grueling is like an understatement. Because especially when you're, you know, I was 39 at the time and, you know, like I'm in pretty good shape, but you're just not used to fighting all day long. And it's crazy. But, you know, I still was there and I was in good enough shape that I could pull it off. It's just when I get home at night, I was dead. I was like, oh, my God. And I'd be super sore, but I'd still get up and do it the next day. So that's the type of, you know, life that we're living, I guess. So I'm kind of like always training as far as like physically and always ready to go, but always ready to just like be sore as hell if I have to be. Yeah. Do you like being a stunt coordinator or stuntman more like a mix? 
I love performing and love being on camera and feel like I do a good job and bring a good intensity to it. But I really like stunt coordinating more because you're kind of using more of your brain power because there's a lot of moving parts. Like you're dealing with a lot of people, you're dealing with camera, you're dealing with the director, you're dealing with the actors. You're not just dealing with stunt men because when you have to have two actors fight each other. Well, they got to be able to do a certain amount of the beats of the fight on their own. Like if there's some big hit or something like that, they bring the stuntman in. Or sometimes it's a stuntman fighting the actor. And, you know, you are like the referee or the coach for both of them. It's more like you're the coach for both of these actors but then you're like the referee for the director because you go and sit behind camera with the director while the fight is being filmed and you kind of give your thumbs up or you say what was good or bad about what they just filmed. And hopefully the director takes your word for it and listens to you. There's just a lot of different moving parts and it's much more complex, but I get more enjoyment out of doing the stunt coordinating more than the performing at this point in my career. Yeah. Do you feel like you're living your dream? Yeah, totally. I never second guess my job at all. I'm very happy doing what I'm doing. I mean, there's always going to be, you know, frustrating times and stuff that's difficult to get through. But like, it's definitely what I've always wanted to do, whether I knew it or not. And it's all I want. At this point, I want to expand and do more of uh, like, I want to second unit direct. And I'd also like to direct something at some point. Awesome. Yeah. Looking back, are you like, wow, I can't believe I made it and I'm thriving. Oh, like all every day. I mean, there's so many times where I'm on set and I'm just like, I don't feel like it's supposed to be me that's supposed to be there. You know, that's like subsided some as time's gone on. And I've got a really good amount of confidence. Like I was working on, you know, actually this was also right before quarantine hit. I was working on Red Notice, which has uh, The Rock and Ryan Reynolds in that movie that they're filming right now. So I was fighting The Rock and Ryan Reynolds at the same time amongst many other people. But like I'm literally fighting both of them at the same time. So. Uh, I mean, definitely like a highlight of my career. And you're sitting here like, I can't believe I'm freaking here. Like, like this is ridiculous. Like, this is not the thought, <laughs> you know, like this is always what I wanted to do. But you're just like, man, like, I don't feel like I'm even supposed to be here right now. So that was super cool. But you know, I also have been performing long enough that it's like, it's easy to keep a cool head and focus on what you're supposed to do. But, you know, in between takes, you step back and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> That's awesome. So what are you uh, working on now during quarantine? I'm curious what sets are like. There's really just nothing's happening. There's no work happening. Okay, that's what I figured. Yeah. At all. I've been, you know, raising this baby, which has been awesome. You know, quarantine couldn't come at a better time for me personally. I know a lot of people are struggling, but I've been able to just spend so much time like watching this boy grow and learn new things about the world every day. A lot of fathers don't get to do that. So I feel really, really lucky about that. I've also kept myself busy. There was a short, uh, a Punisher short that I directed and I star in it as well, just because I was the only one that would show up. <laughs> yeah. So I shot that a long time ago. It was about two years ago and just kind of sat on the shelf because there was a lot of work that had done to it, like in post, like computer graphic, like CGI and sound design and stuff like that. I'd had it edited, but didn't have time to really like deal with it. So over quarantine, I finished that and put that out. So it's up on YouTube. So I directed that. And then I'm actually working on another short right now that me and a buddy wrote. And I'm going to direct that. I won't be in it this time, but we're supposed to shoot in a couple of weeks. Like I've been doing a lot of work to kind of like get things going and like location scouts and all this stuff. And we keep refining the script, but it's going to be like a 10 to 12 minute short. And the plan is to enter it into film festivals and something like South by Southwest or, you know, Tribeca or Sundance, stuff like that. And hopefully get accepted and do well with those things. What's the uh, most difficult decision you had to make to fulfill your destiny? It was, there was actually one pivotal point where I knew I had the opportunity to go to Philadelphia 
and be an extra, which like, if you know what you're talking about, like being an extra is like a bottom of the barrel, like piece of crap job. Like it's the worst role you can get as an actor. But it was to go do that and quit my job. Like basically I had to walk in there and tell them that I wanted to leave for three months and either quit or, you know, ask them if they would allow me to leave and then come back. That was the point where there was a super pivotal moment. And I was like, I either have to do this or just give up, right? Like, because this is an opportunity and I thought somebody had like chosen me for a movie, right? Which, you know, in hindsight, that wasn't the case. But, you know, I I went and it weighed on me very heavily and I could feel that there was going to be a complete shift in my life. And I like went up to like a lake and like on my lunch break, there was like a lake that's really close by and went and sat and just like looked at the water and just was like, you know, like, what am I going to do? Like my family's going to freak out and, you know, like this is a big deal, but sat there and thought really hard and just realized that my life was never going to be any different if I didn't choose this thing. And although it might be hard and it, you know, might not be the right decision, this is where I have to like kind of make a stand and decide to do something different with my life. And ultimately, I thought it would be better to try and fail and know I tried than to always wonder for the rest of my life what it would have been like if I would have tried. So, you know, after a little bit of crying, I stood up and was like, fuck it, let's do this and went and quit my job. So this is the end of our interview. Usually we give guests like, a minute to promote anything they want. Is there anything you'd like to promote? Oh, I mean, you know, everybody should go watch my short. I mean, it's not very long and it's about Punisher. So if you like Punisher, if you do want to see that short, the title of it is called Skull, Punisher Reawakened. I hope people enjoy it. And, you know, I'm on Instagram at Eric Linden, if you're into that thing. But yeah, that's about it. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Eric Linden. I love that he had the courage to pursue a more adventurous career and his work ethic and mentality is just really inspiring. Stick around to the end of the episode for a sneak preview of our next guest. Make sure to check out our website, thenewschoolpodcast.com. There you can find links to anything mentioned in the episode in our show notes and you can suggest amazing guests for the show. We also have a newsletter you should definitely sign up for. It's the ultimate weekly guide to turn your passions into a meaningful career. Get every episode as soon as it drops by subscribing to to the new school wherever you get your podcasts and if you have a minute we'd love it if you could rate and review us on apple podcasts to stay up to date on all things the new school follow us on instagram at the new school podcast and on twitter at the new school pod next week we're talking to the brilliant hannah cecile and trust me you're going to want to come back for all the insights she has to share Hannah's always wanted to be a Broadway star, but things now exactly work out for her in the theater. She realized that her true passion was telling people stories. So after a series of twists and turns, Hannah eventually landed her dream job at Instagram where she works as a creative producer. Sometimes in order to follow your passion and to go after what you want, sometimes it can be really lonely. It's important to know that and to discover and find whatever that passion is. If it lights you or your fire and it fills you up, then it's worth it. So keep going. Make sure to download the episode next Monday when Hannah will share what she learned from her video production internship at Refinery29, how she dealt with being laid off at just 25 years old, what the role of producer actually involves, and why she totally loves working at Instagram. All right, guys, have a great day. Try something new today. The New School with Christine Hong is produced by Jenny Snyder, Claire Whiteley, and Alexia Mersola. Editing by Sydney Salk, John Simpson, and Joseph Cho. Special thanks to our marketing team who help us spread our mission and put the New School name out there. Katie Osaki, Dina Che, Marissa Wolfsheimer, and Giovanni Cortez.